Hello, and welcome to Serene Reflections, a podcast of Dharma Talks from the Wallawa Buddhist Temple. I am Rev. Clarissa Beattie, a Zen monk and Buddhist priest from the mountains of Northeast Oregon, where we practice contemplative meditation, the Chan of Bodhidharma, the Zen of Dogen, the Serene Reflection Meditation of Rev. Master G.U. Kennett. You are invited to let yourself grow naturally still, to let go of the world for a while. Join us in listening in sound, in listening in stillness, turning within to listen from the heart that seeks the way. My Friendly Advice for Seated Meditation Compiled by Meditation Master Wanshi Shogaku The important function for Buddha after Buddha and the pivotal moment for ancestor after ancestor is to know it without stirring anything up and to be illumined without setting up an opposite. When one knows it without stirring anything up, such knowing is naturally humble. When one is illumined without setting up an opposite, such illumination is naturally subtle. Since that knowing is naturally humble, there is never a discriminating thought. Since that illumination is naturally subtle, there is never the least outward sign of it. Since there is never a discriminating thought, that knowing is wondrous, with nothing left to be dealt with. Since there is never the least outward sign of it, that illumination is complete with nothing left unrealized. The water is now so clear you can see to its depths as fish swim by at their leisure. The sky is now so clear it is boundless as birds fly off, leaving no trace. In chapter 26 of the Shobogenzo, Dogen reads this poem of Wanshi Shogaku's and comments on it. The poem is a description of seated meditation, the meditation beyond just the sitting 
the being spiritually centered, no matter where one is or what one is doing. The it in this poem is our own Buddha nature. Another way of putting it might be the important function for all of us without exception is to know the Buddha nature within all things without stirring up self or others and to see clearly inside and out without setting up opposites. The poem is pointing toward letting go of the idealization of meditation. Wanshi Shogaku is pointing us past our ideas to doing something beyond thinking, past all idealization. Yet we have to start somewhere. We have to start where we are. In our practice, we start with the shape of formal sitting meditation. We start with the form of the 16 precepts. We start with the form which, if we follow it wholeheartedly, will lead us beyond form. In a Soto Zen monastery, we follow a regular daily schedule and a yearly liturgical calendar. Day in, day out, whatever happens in the monastery unfolds according to the posted schedule, which is set up well in advance and then affirmed in regular consultations by the head of the temple together with a group of senior monks. It's a way of ordering the day which allows the self to settle. The way a glass of muddy water left to sit quietly will grow clear as the sediment settles to the bottom. The posted times for certain activities vary somewhat by the season and from day to day. Overall, each day starts and ends with meditation and recitation of scriptures. There are meals to be eaten, work to be done, and a time to rest or wash up or get ready for the next activity or service. Sometimes there's a festival or a retreat or a funeral or wedding, and the preparations and the doing and the cleanup related to such things. Much of the monastic schedule is practical while also pointing out important teachings, and it's also flexible so that we may respond to conditions as they unfold. One morning, when I was a novice, a number of us were standing outside the dining hall, looking at a newly posted revision of the daily schedule, taking notes on the changes, and quietly discussing some implications. Hearing footsteps pattering by on the path below the landing, we looked up to see our esteemed translator, Reverend Hubert, on his way to midday meal, and noticing us there, he beamed at the sight of us, calling out gleefully with a friendly wave as he carried on along the way. The schedule is carved in water.
Living by the monastic schedule has a number of intended effects. The more wholeheartedly we follow it while we're in the monastery, the more these beneficial effects take root and grow. The schedule means we have to drop one activity in order to turn and pick up another. It habituates us to respond to what's asked of us right now rather than at our convenience. It asks me repeatedly to set down my personal preferences about what I'm doing right now in deference to what is wisest for all of us. Following the schedule, rather than putting myself first or last, I must become aware of whether what I'm doing is in accord with what is good for both self and others. In this way, slowly our sharp edges are worn smooth, gently and gradually wearing away to tiny sand grains as we all bump up against each other and the riverbed. Like all kinds of rocks, tumbled in river's currents become smooth and make it easier to roll, making it easier for clear water to flow. Amidst all conditions, we let ourselves be carved in the water of the spirit. The schedule creates and follows a natural balance among the many necessary activities of a life grounded in meditation and perceptual living. Over the course of a typical day, there is a mixture of work, reflection, formal meditation, ceremonial, rest, and social relaxation. There's a wise equilibrium of rest and activity. And really, there is no typical day. No two days are the same in a monastery, because life happens while we live it. Life is ever-changing. Monastic life has an ebb and flow, inward, then outward, then inward again. There are times of the day and year that are natural for going inward, like night and winter, when we're less active and more introspective, and there's more stillness built into the schedule. This going inward doesn't mean we don't respond to conditions as needed. We may be attending a death, where we're awake at the bedside rather than sleeping at night. We may be needed outside clearing snow before drifts can accumulate and the temple gets snowbound. In summer or in midday, the monastery becomes more active in a physical sense. We may welcome more guests. We may do more active work like processing the firewood for next winter and maintaining buildings. While with the going outward in broad day or bright summer, we hearken to the stillness, the regular intervals of formal meditation even as more traffic flows on the road outside the temple. 
In natural cycles, too, there's an activity in stillness and a stillness in activity. In the depths of great stillness, the current is ever-flowing. In the bright movement of action, the depths are still. The monastic day and calendar echo this pattern. There's a cyclical pattern and flow to life everywhere. Whether I'm in a monastery or not, the rhythms of life swell and diminish and swell again. This endless flow is so much a part of all being that we may go whole lifetimes without even noticing it, even while it permeates all activity, all existence. Reflect. How may I sense the flow of these natural rhythms all around me, within me? How may I respond to what's calling me right now in balance with all life, in harmony with the universe without and the universe within? What's not found in the monastic schedule are activities that stir things up or take our minds off of what's right before us. Activities like intense recreation or diverting entertainments. This doesn't mean we don't ever relax or play in the monastery, but it does mean that these elements of a balanced life can emerge more organically in the midst of all other activities. We cannot escape what is, what needs to be seen, what needs to be attended to, what needs to be let go of. We may manage to put it off for a while. Eventually it will catch up to us. If we've been ignoring it, it will demand our attention more and more until it must be faced. Taxes, mortality, karma, the consequences of past actions coming ripe for addressing, each according to its own schedule. When we're not in the monastery, there's more elbow room for self to arise and putter around, doing what it likes. This isn't a problem. Within the embrace of the precepts, there is a wide open field. We don't have to live for years as a monk or superimpose the monastic schedule onto the life of our household to live from the heart of Zazen, the heart that is seated in meditation.
Living perceptually in the world means it's up to each of us to turn when we're willing. It means discovering a balance over the course of the day and year, according to what's practical and good to do. It means finding our way to what's good to do, asking the self to be willing to do the work of the heart. It means we can let go when we're ready, wholeheartedly, as we discern what's good to do, as we grow still and come to center, as we prove the teaching true for ourselves. Practicing in the world means becoming still and flexible and clear in all conditions. We can be seated in meditation in all conditions, spiritually centered no matter where we are or what we're doing. We can know our own wondrous Buddha nature without stirring anything up. We can be clear and illumined without setting up an opposite. We can allow ourselves to settle and grow naturally still ever flowing in the depths. This is true in the world as it is in the monastery. As water becomes clear, you can begin to see down to its depths. Practice is carved in water. Thank you for joining us in listening to Serene Reflections from the Heart That Seeks the Way. To learn more about this practice, including more about how to meditate, you are invited to visit our website at walawabuddhisttemple.org. Here, in the Kanzayan Shrine of our Meditation Hall, we offer the merit of our practice of serene reflection meditation to all beings including you, wherever you may be.